0: Hi, I'm Talia, and I am the host of Compassionate Conversations podcast, Series 2. In Series 2, we will hear from inspiring people who work for and with young people. Each episode is designed to share ways of empowering the next generation to ensure they have the tools to go on to have mentally healthy futures. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media, Single Parents Wellbeing. Hi, y'all. I've got Julie Green joining me today. Julie also works for Single Parents Wellbeing and she is their Diversity and Engagement Manager. She's also a Wellbeing Workshop Facilitator and is the Connecting Creatively Officer. It's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> Julie is really amazing in all that she does. She is super resilient and so I'm just really looking forward to hearing how she has overcome some of the hurdles and got to where she is now with helping other parents and young people. So yeah, I hope you enjoy. Hi Julie, thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Talia. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. We were just talking about how cold it is now and yeah. I'm not putting the heating on. <laughs> and I've got my little EMF ear warmer on to keep me warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to having this chat because you've had some very exciting news this week. And So it feels like the perfect week to do this podcast because we're going to go into a bit of your story and your part in SPW. So it feels like such a nice, almost celebration of what just happened. So do you want to share the news? So I'm one of the new volunteer directors for Single Parents Wellbeing.
1: We found out this week a few new faces are coming on board and I'm one of them. (laughs) I'm still in shock it's unbelievable really where if you think about where I came from and which you guys will hear it is a bit bonkers but
0: yeah if you work hard you you can get this, can't you very well deserved ah thank you and also do you want to share your new role in the young persons project
1: yeah, so I'm the Diversity and Engagement Manager for, what is it, Mental Health Manifesto, the Young Persons Project. So I'm going to be working on trying to be inclusive and diverse in all different areas of our work, especially with the 10 to 25 year bracket on mental health.
0: Yeah, so... For those of you listening who don't know Julie, it hasn't always been smooth sailing. And yeah, Julie's come through a lot to get to this place. So that's why we're extra happy yeah, that Julie is also one of the directors. So yeah, should we talk a little bit about your background? And first, can you just tell us, I don't know, a little bit about your family and then talk us through your experience of when you became a mum and yeah.
1: Yeah, of course. So I was quite a young mum and I was 22 when I found out I was pregnant and I was the only one in my friendship group to, you know, have been in that kind of situation. It was very new and yeah, I remember being a bit daunted, I suppose. It's the unknown, but I knew It was my body was telling me this is something I wanted and even though I was in a very difficult situation it was kind of felt like it was meant to be and it changed my life ultimately for the better. Mm -hmm. Mason is nine now, he'll be 10 in April and yeah so I've been a single parent from day dot really. We became single when I was pregnant and there was a domestic abuse situation and yeah there was a big Lots of stuff going on. I was in a real difficult place when I was younger. My mental health was not great at all. And that was not, you know, some of it was to do with the domestic abuse. Some of it was to do with, I suppose, the stigma of being a young mum and being a young single mum. And there was loads of elements. And I really, I think I lost myself for a little while in the aftermath of all of that. But I found single parents wellbeing and I went on one of the wellbeing workshops and that was kind of the start for me on looking after myself a bit more and being aware of mental health and wellbeing and good parenting, not just, well, there's parenting, that's a perspective, isn't it? What is good parenting? But I mean, I feel like a better parent because I now look after myself more. Yeah. I can talk a bit more about my other roles and stuff where I'm now facilitating the wellbeing workshops that I originally
0: attended. So, yeah, I've got a bit of a backstory, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And how did you find connecting with other mums when you did find out you are pregnant and you gave birth and things? It was really difficult, actually, because... I was so young. Well, some people might not think of
1: it as young, but I was in my friendship group, my family. I was seen as a very young mum. And everyone around me, if I was to ever go to a baby group, they were all a lot older than me and they were all in relationships. So I never had anyone who I could relate to as a parent, not only as a young mum, but as a single mum. So it was a, a really difficult time. And also, Because of the domestic abuse situation that developed, Mason's first birthday ended up being in a women's age refuge. So we had like a real turmoil of being homeless and then I became jobless and all this kind of stuff happened within from being pregnant to Mason's first birthday. It was a real tough time you know it's a bit of a blur the way I look back and think oh my god it's like a tornado I look back and see is it how did I get through all those things but you just kind of go into mum mode don't you and yeah. just
0: get through things that you couldn't believe that you've got through <laughs> yeah definitely and did you find because I've heard you say before about the well-being workshops how you kind of found your tribe And you were a really, really close group, weren't you? So did you become really good friends with those people?
1: Yeah. And what happened was I was still suffering really badly with my social anxiety when I first attended the Wellbeing Workshops. And I remember going in, I tell this story a lot, going into the room and I was really perspiring and I was so nervous. It was like cold and shaky. And I remember trying to make an excuse here. And all, you know, I was already late as well, which was another thing. And I said, oh, sorry, everybody. I ran here trying to make up for this awkward excuse as to why I looked so, you know, um, glowing. Yeah, <laughs> It was just because I was so fearful of entering a room of people, Yeah, <laughs> which really is yeah. so bizarre now if you look where I am. But... Yeah, it was, I had really bad panic attacks and stuff like that all the time. And it was the first moment where I kind of went into the room and everyone was really welcoming and lovely. And I was first heard stories of the single parents. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not alone. There's other people who've been through similar things. There's other people who understand this. And even though I was one of the younger ones, again, in my group, that didn't even come into it. We all kind of just got along so well and in fact there's one of my friends is one of a facilitator with me now as well who was on my wellbeing workshop and we're similar ages and so yeah there was a real diverse group and our group really took to being there for each other and yeah I've still got a lot of good friends from that group now years on. Yeah that's
0: so good did that heal something where you could feel the difference with other parents and maybe that was something you were just like aware of has that helped your confidence in those settings now
1: yeah I think some of the stuff that we do in the workshops it was a light bulb moment realization that you actually can look after yourself and still be a good mum. you don't have to be constantly sacrificing yourself and your needs to be the best parent and that was especially we already have enough parent guilt as it is. I learned loads of really good techniques to build my confidence and overcome a lot of the anxieties that I had and finding that community where you kind of fit and relate to. And I do see this single parent community as my family because I can really rely on the people in the group and not just the close people I've got bonds with it goes there's a whole extended family if you think of the 2,000 members we've got you can post in the group a question you've got or a thought or a worry and you've got this expertise of people to just rally you up and give you advice and lift different layers and levels to it all isn't it so yeah it really does help and did help with turning my life around
0: yeah well they say it takes a village to raise a child <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know Cardiff isn't really a village but I think within the key mu- community it does feel like that
1: yeah and it's a real safe space to share things that other parents or people might not get who aren't from a single parent world you know we're just things like popping out for milk if you've run out of stuff for cereal or your coffee in the morning that's something you can't just do you have to bung the child in the car with you and depending yeah. on the age and the part of single parenthood you are even just simple things
0: like that can make a big difference you know yeah definitely And I think especially because you are solo single parenting, you don't have the co-parenting things to deal with. It's so nice that you do have such like a big family to also rely on and just have those like parenting conversations with and knowing you're not alone in that is, yeah, really good.
1: Yeah. And with the co-parenting thing, we always talk about how we're all single parents and we can all relate to each other, but actually how all of our stories are really different. So I don't co-parent, for instance, because we've got a restraining order against the dad and because of the domestic abuse. So we don't have any contact and we don't have to face those co-parenting trials that a lot of parents do. Again, there's some parents who have a lovely co-parenting relationship. There are parents who don't have the dad through bereavement or LGBTQ families who are IVF. Or, whatever the scenario is, we can still have this commonality of single parenthood where we understand each other.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I really felt that as well from the wellbeing workshops when I attended. I was also really conscious of my age and I could almost see that as a huge difference. And that was something that I learned quite quickly. I think everyone initially went in almost with that of noticing the differences that they have with everybody else but we all learned that we all have our own experience and there was just no judgment and that's something that you guys are really good at of making sure it is a safe space and you learn very quickly that you then notice the things that you actually you have in common and you have that shared experience and that yeah was just really really good
1: yeah I love being a facilitator when I got that job it was a real like well-rounded moment for me of like oh my god I've come so far of like attending the workshops and being really having really poor mental health and to a few years later being able and confident enough to present and facilitate those very workshops that I originally attended and some people don't believe that, <laughs> that I'm the same person if you look at me from when I was yeah. doing the workshops so if you look at me now I look like a different person but also act like a different person because my anxieties are different now you know I can handle them and deal with them and I am more confident and I've learned how to combat my inner critic (laughs) which comes up in the workshop yeah there's loads of great tools which I hope lots of other parents can use as well
0: yeah definitely and Amy you'll probably be embarrassed now (laughs) but Amy always says how good you are at putting your own opinions across and I think that just says it all that you're confident enough in your ideas and your decision making that you just bring so much and
1: yeah oh that's lovely thank you For me, I think as well, communication has always been a real big part of my journey, (laughs) if you want to use that word, because I was silenced for a long time. You know, I couldn't use my voice and there was lots of things where people didn't believe me or there was things I couldn't say and struggled to. So when we did the communication elements in the workshops as well, that was a real life changer for me. And also how we continuously learn how to communicate and how to develop because it's never, it doesn't stay still. We continually change and so does our ways of communicating. And it's about learning what, how the other person is as well and different people communicate in different ways. And so you can adapt yourself in different environments and to different people depending mm-hmm. on the scenario.
0: Yeah, I think it's really helped me. Yeah, can you give us some strategies of, yeah, how we can learn to use our voice a bit more and how we can practice communication? So yeah,
1: one of the important parts for me, the communication styles in the workshops, was really helpful. Learning, you know, one of the tools that that really come in handy for me to understand how I communicate, but also how other people communicate. So we've got. Analytical, where people like to hear facts and data, they can remove emotional contact really easily and they like specific and clear language, doesn't need any kind of interpretation. And that's a kind of analytical communicator. There's an intuitive communicator where they like to look at the whole picture and have like summaries of events, get straight to the information needed and are creative In their way of thinking there's a personal communicator where they use emotional language and focus on thoughts and feelings and there's a functional communicator which likes lots of the details thinking in a logical order so these all have different types of communications and they can vary in whether it's with a specific type of person or a scenario you can be more than one of them or a hybrid And yeah, understanding how you communicate and then how other people communicate helps you understand there can be misinformation or conflict of information. And then it can help you resolve any issues that might be coming up and, you know, getting your point across without making it an issue. And a real important part of communication is listening. So we do every week in the workshops, we do listening lines and that's a really useful tool to not only allow someone to be heard, but to develop how we hear people because there's a difference between hearing and listening. So in the listening lines, you get two minutes to talk about a topic that we'll propose and then that person will talk for two minutes on that subject and then you'll swap and the other person will talk for two minutes on that subject. And it can be hard to explain. So it's like, it's called affirmed listening where the one person, while the one person's talking, the other person tries not to interject and is really, they're in the moment together, trying letting the one person offload and the other person just hear. And it's a really good skill where people get to learn about all these, the ways that they are, and also subjects that might, be difficult for them that they haven't realized before and it gives people a chance to just work on themselves and get things up that they might not have been able to before
0: mm-hmm. did you
1: how did you find the listening lines when you did them
0: yeah I remember I found it quite easy to listen but I actually bringing it back I remember yeah I did find it quite easy to listen but there were definitely moments where I wanted to almost jump in and reassure, I wanted to maybe bring something else to your mind and I wanted to be able to jump in and add something or say something. But what I realised and I learned from that task was in not doing that, where I was trying to follow with my mind and trying to understand what they were saying, when I didn't butt in and say whatever I was about to say, when they just carried on talking, it actually wasn't going in the direction I thought it was it was actually going into a different thing and that's where I learned that actually it's really important to not say anything and to fully hear somebody out because even if you think you're getting somewhere with someone actually if they keep talking you find out more and you then get a fuller more accurate picture of what someone's going through so that was a really really good tool. Yeah and it's a nice thing some people really enjoy it and some people struggle with it, but it's a really
1: good either way, it's a good tool to use, isn't it? So yeah, yeah, I like that part of the workshops as well.
0: Yeah. And I think it would be really great if Because you could bring all of that. You've got an expertise in communication and stuff now. And it would just be great for you to bring that into the Mental Health Manifesto project with the young people. And that could actually even be a part of a team building exercise of how to work well as a team and how to really (coughs) hear from each other and appreciate what each other are saying. But then also for them to grow in confidence in their own thoughts and ideas. Yeah. Um, bringing that into it would be yeah I think would be really cool
1: yeah that's a nice idea and we'll definitely trial some of that stuff I think because also it teaches people like you were saying to allow people to get their point across you know and go deeper and and follow their own trail of thought and stuff like that and yeah communications I'm not sure if I'd call myself an expert but I definitely value communication and I'm Funny enough, I'm a bit of a talker as well now. I, I talk, me and Mel, the, my co-facilitator, we're a bit yin and yang in the way that I'm really the talkative person and she's the, you know, listening person and she's a counsellor. So that might come from her counselling experience. Mm-hmm. But now I'm, we really complement each other well in that sense. Some of my communication stuff, I think, has also come from my social science degree. And learning about the different types of people and the way society is. And I've done the psychology, the criminology and the sociology elements. And it really helps you kind of understand things more. Knowledge is power, we talk about sometimes. And understanding things better helps us communicate better as well.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, so my other role, what have I got? I also do the Connecting Creatively role. I was going to talk a bit about how when I first, where I am now, you know, diversity manager, director, facilitator, and also what am I, Connecting Creatively officer, (laughs) my many hats, I didn't always get what I wanted. I applied for jobs, I didn't get them. It was a real learning curve for me. So I remember I applied for an engagement officer post with SPW and I didn't get it because I wasn't right at the time. For it. I think you might have even been on my interview panel for that. I think um, I, I do, so, I do. and Talia didn't give me the job. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. Um, <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> So, yeah, I, where I am now, it hasn't necessarily been smooth sailing, you know, and that's not the only job I've been for and didn't get. There was, like, the Connecting Creatively job i originally applied for and didn't get it. And then the lady left who was doing it on sick leave, and then I reapplied and got it. And, in fact, I didn't get the job I wanted. I got a different job, kind of. It was, I got the North Wales the Conman post and... I was like oh well you know I'm happy to trial it and then eventually I got the South Wales post because of my experience and again I reapplied for that one and it was all resilience I suppose you learn resilience and not to let things knock you down and confidence building and getting rid of your inner critic and how you keep going if, if there's something you want it doesn't don't let it necessarily deter you if you don't get it the first time because I didn't and now I'm exactly where I wanted to be I just didn't go on the the direct path that I thought I would you know
0: yeah and have you always just felt really positive about things or have you had your inner critic quite a lot throughout your experience
1: yeah no I've definitely not always been positive (laughs) And I don't know if I still am always, but it's something you have to learn to be. like it's you train your mind almost to see things in a different way and not let the negative voices take over because they'll always be there for everybody. there's gonna be a negative voice, whether it's a quiet one, a loud one. I've really I've had moments where I've really struggled with my mental health. I've been agoraphobic where I haven't wanted to left the house, like real depression I've had and coming out of those dark places kind of gives you a momentum I suppose to not go back there and to try and help other people which is why I love my job so much and kind of trying to help other people come out of those dark places and showing them that there is a light and there is another way. And that if you keep going and keep trying, eventually you're going to, you know, take some steps in the right direction. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to stumble or you're not going to fall, but it's about getting back up, isn't it? Or getting, having a helping hand to help you up, whether that's, you know, finding the right people or using your inner strength. There's always a way to kind of combat that and that's not again dismissing any kind of negative feelings we have because I don't believe in toxic positivity either where it's like yay yay you know nothing's bad we want to accept the darkness sometimes and sit with it and that's how we can often deal with things and overcome and heal from them instead of dismissing them often we do as a defense mechanism you know we'll deflect and push it down instead of letting it be there that's yeah that's how we develop and become the more positive version of ourselves I suppose
0: yeah and we've had a couple of conversations this week about how difficult it is being is I think that's one of the biggest difficulties single parents face especially if you're struggling with your mental health of when you're struggling also how then it's even more difficult to be the parent and do everything that you do throughout that time. And did you have anything that you wanted to add to that?
1: Yeah, so when you're on your own as a single parent struggling with mental health, you don't have the co-parent as such to go, oh, I'm really unwell today, whether that's mentally unwell or physically unwell. You know, you've still got to kind of step up and be the parent. And my parents are brilliant. They're really really hands-on with Mason and I'm very lucky that I can call on my mum and my dad sometimes and be like can you have my sister my brother also brilliant and also my SPW family you know I've got friends who I know would always be there and I've had when Covid happened I was really depressed And I remember one of my friends came and delivered a care package. She gave me flowers and chocolate and a little note to say, you know, keep in there. Because she knew I was on my own going through the COVID crisis. This was before we had the bubbles and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, just relying on other people is a big part of allowing that in, you know, letting yourself be vulnerable to help and support and not feeling like you have to do everything all on your own all the time like we're trained to do and you can take credit in those things that you do do because as we say single parents are superheroes we do a lot on our own all the time but allowing yourself to break you know and finding ways to manage your mental health whether that is finding someone to lean on or Just sometimes training your kid to let you have five minutes. I talk about when Alexa came out, I started saying, um, setting a five minute timer and being like, okay, Mace, I'm going to have five minutes now. Mummy's just going to have a cup of tea for five minutes, and he's not allowed to bother me in those five minutes. And he's at first like, I'd, I'd get interrupted and he would come in and and be like mum 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 and I'm like no sorry I'm of my five minutes you can come back once the time is off and that can seem harsh to some people but actually it's a really good starting point for using your self-care and just having that five minutes of time because once you've had that you're then able to deal with a lot of the other things that, that come up you know
0: yeah that's such a good point do you want to share a little bit more about so you're the Connecting Creatively Officer as well? So in what ways does the doing creative things help other families bond and yeah, how does it help them? Oh, I love the Connecting
1: Creatively workshops a really nice time for families to come together and bond. And it came out of COVID where parents might not have been able to spend much quality time with the children because they were became the school teacher, the house person, and working from home, and all these different things. It was like twenty four seven, even more than it already is for single parents. And mental health, as everybody knows, skyrocketed. That the, the negative mental health in COVID. So for single parents, it was extra effect of doing it on your own. So they developed a creativity in COVID programme, which went down really well and was a chance for families to bond together instead of being in this stressful moment. It was like taking some time away to just be with each other and spend quality time and rebuild those positive bonds. And we follow a method called the PACE method, which is playfulness acceptance, curiosity and empathy. So all of the creative workshops will follow that kind of psychological mindset where you are just enjoying each other's company and it's a really good tool to not only feel good about yourselves but feeling good about yourselves as a family. So it's got a double effect I suppose and it builds resilience and creativity is different to everybody. So it's really important then our peer-led element and co-produced element where people get to decide for themselves what is creativity. is a really big part of being autonomous as well and making your own choices, being able to give yourself a voice (laughs) creatively. What is creative to you? And then people build on that and we put on all types of creative workshops depending on what people see as creative and whether that's you know artistic craft cooking we've had the skateboarding sessions we've had the, so many different types of things which you wouldn't always see as creative but are because people creative could be anything you know for if you're it in your mindset in an imaginative way yeah. then yeah, yeah. Those, they're really nice times for people to come together and do those things
0: Yeah, I went to one of your workshops, which was the soap workshop that you organized. And honestly, I loved it so much. I actually initially went that I can't even remember what was happening. But I just remember actually feeling really stressed. And in my head before I went, I was thinking, how am I going to switch off when I know I have a billion things to do? And I almost was thinking, why am I even going? (laughs) Like, I'm not going to be able to enjoy it. I just went anyway. And within about 15 minutes, as soon as we got into it, it literally went straight out the window. And I had the it was honestly the highlight of my weekend. Aww. And I properly switched off and it literally took my mind somewhere else where well, I it honestly filled me up so much of I just came out buzzing and I was looking at the soaps all weekend after that. And I was planning on who I was going like, to give them to for Christmas. So then it also made me feel really organized, thinking I've already, it's like September and I've already got Christmas presents. Oh. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. So, yeah, I would definitely encourage people to attend. And even if they're feeling stressed and they don't want to go because they're thinking I'm not going to be able to switch off, I would encourage you to still go because you probably will once you're there.
1: Oh, Gemma will love hearing that. That's Gemma from um, Larked As I Make. And she, yeah, she's her workshops are brilliant. And we've got so many different types as well. There's going to be someone for somebody out there. And like you said, sometimes you're not in the mood for it, but just doing it will make you feel better. You just get distracted in a good way. You know, your mind goes to a good place and yeah, you let go of all the things. It's a bit like mindfulness, isn't it? Almost. You do, you're doing something
0: that takes your mind off everything and you're yeah. in the moment yeah. and then you're in a much better mindset to deal with the things because honestly I came out and then I looked at my to-do list after that session I felt like I was a different person I was like oh, okay yeah that's fine be it was suddenly all manageable because I was like I felt really rested and I knew I would be able to do it so it definitely yeah. brought that calm into my weekend which was really nice
1: Yeah, well, it's a form of self-care, which we always want to, you know, idolise self-care. Getting any self-care in will make you feel better and able to deal with all the stresses in your life better.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, but going back to the Mental Health Manifesto project, what kind of things are you most looking forward to with helping raise the confidence of the young people from single parent households? I think improving
1: anyone's mental health is going to be, you know, it's just brilliant, isn't it? If you can make a difference in someone's life, then that's great. And those moments in your life between the ages of ten and twenty-five are almost like the pivotal moments. That's when your life, you most of us will, almost all of us will have a life-changing moment in those periods, whether it's going to high school, going to college whatever kind of situation, becoming a single mum like us, you know, whatever happens, getting your first job real, you know, your first kiss, hormones are going, whatever it is that's happening in your life, those are kind of, those are big life moments. And I think it's really important for us to help support single parent families, kids from single parent families on those kind of pivotal moments, because they're going to be experiencing things differently than maybe... Two household parents and they might be feeling the effects more on certain things and we really want to kind of balance the playing field and bring up people's mental health so from my facilitation work I'm going to be you know promoting all the different themes we've got there whether that's confidence mental health looking after yourself from the connecting creatively things I'm going to be bringing in my experience of bonding time and being able to Experience families in a different way and finding peer support as well, and lots of different elements, whether that's coming from the psychology point with my social science background, or whether that's finding a creative influence. So, action based learning, I think, is one of the things we want to focus on, where kids have a way of getting information which is not boring, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as such, you know, a fun way for them to retain information, including learning about mental health and well-being in a way that suits them, you know, not in a typical kind of, this is information you need, but information that they'll enjoy and use, hopefully, you know, to become better versions of ourselves that we want our kids to be and cause that ripple effect of, You know, what we put out there, our kids will be influenced by and it's all going to come from them as well. What they decide is creative, what they decide is good for their mental health, what they decide they want to do. And I'm really looking forward to uncovering that, especially as Mason is coming up to 10 as well. And, you know, we're a nice pivotal moment of our lives as well.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned earlier about how beneficial you found it meeting, finding your tribe, meeting other single parents and realising, yeah, just finding people who you can really relate to and who will understand your situation and you can connect to in that way and how much that helped you. Have through your events with facilitating and Yeah, events where you're bringing together families, you've witnessed because a lot of them are family events and you've witnessed the parents being able to connect with other parents and the kids being able to connect with other kids. Have you seen a difference in the children when they meet other children who are also from like single parent households?
1: Yeah, I think it definitely makes a difference for children's mental health when they are in a situation with like-minded people or not like-minded people, you know, similar people. So, and that's the same with all kinds of diversities and those type of equality things, whether you want to be seen and heard by people who are similar to you. Yeah. So whether that's like race, LGBTQ, it's really important to have those elements in your world so you've got someone to relate to and to understand and yeah I think the kids from single parent households finding that There's other kids from single parent households relating ways that they can talk about their going to dads to different having two Christmases or having two cards or whatever that situation is. And I know mine is a bit different, with he doesn't have the two Christmases, but it's being able to talk to single parents who might not see their other parents all the time and who can just experience single parent family life as a normality and not something that's stigmatised and different. It's just another way of being a family and not something that should be shunned.
0: Yes. Thanks, Julie. That's such a yeah nice way to slowly end this podcast. But before we do, can you tell us what is your mental health manifesto? Mental health manifesto is self-care.
1: Yeah. Always
0: fit in a little bit
1: of time for yourself so that you can deal with the difficult moments in your life. And that can be whatever self-care means to you. It doesn't have to be bubble baths and yoga. It could be, you know, a warm cup of tea or talking to a friend or whatever suits you. So, like, tuning into your needs, I suppose, is mental health manifesto for me. And you're able then to communicate that with your kids, with your parents, with your families, with your co-parents or colleagues, whatever you want that to be. And yeah, it's a good starting place for anyone's mental health and well-being, I think. It was the starting blocks for me anyway, starting to look after myself, getting me self-care in.
0: Yeah, oh, that's so nice. And if you could go back and say anything to your younger self, what would you say? I would say
1: everything is temporary. So just because something is feeling tough right now, it doesn't mean it always will be. And to, you know, keep going and look inside yourself and get rid of that inner critic that we've all got and and keep going and things will eventually get where you want to be, you know, just keep getting back up. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Following your feet. Yeah oh that's so good oh thank you so much for sharing your story and I love that last bit because I feel like that captures what I feel like this podcast is about and I think you have such like a strong story where you've like kept getting back up and now yeah you've come to like a really amazing place like in SPW and just generally
1: oh it's an amazing story Oh, thank you. I'm really looking forward to the next chapter. Like, I honestly, I couldn't believe it when I got the manager's role. And then I couldn't believe it when I got the director's role. And yeah, it's just onwards and upwards and how much I've kept trying. And sometimes things don't go your way, but you keep going. And I've just improved and improved and improved. And eventually I feel I am becoming this successful single parent woman that people see. And hopefully if I can do anything to you know, let other people know that they can do it too. If I can, you know, go from, you know, a domestic abuse, homeless situation without an education to getting an education to being a director of a charity now. It's been a real journey for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. It's so good. Yeah. So if anybody listening would like to get involved with SPW across any of the projects that we spoke about, please follow the link that will be underneath and fill out our volunteer sheet and or email one of us. Yeah. And if you would like to get involved in our new project and grow in confidence and yeah, become a leader and yeah, just be a part of it, then we would love to have you join us.
1: We'd love to hear from you. Thanks,
0: Talia. That's okay. Thanks, Julie. Thanks so much for listening to Compassionate Conversations, Series 2. You can find us on Single Parents Wellbeing. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in to our next episodes. See you soon.